1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider, a lot to talk about today. To Happy Holy Octave of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as Catholics is such a powerful event. We can't take it all in on one day like the Protestants do. It takes us eight days to take in the majesty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the game changer. That is what changed the world. <clears throat> and, um, and I'll also say about... Uh, the octave of Easter, it's interesting that in the, in, in the Jewish tradition, the number eight means eternal life. And so it's not a coincidence that in the Catholicism, we have the octave of Christmas, the octave of Easter, eight day celebration. We take this from the Jews because eight means eternal life. Dan, welcome to the show, brother. We got some good topics today yeah. that uh, yeah, can't wait to talk about. An octave, people need to understand liturgically, an octave is basically it's a liturgical party for eight days. You know, yeah. we, we you're you're expected, you're actually forbidden to to do penance during these eight days because it would be it would be un, it would be uh, uh, inappropriate because this is a time of celebration. It's one day that lasts eight days, and uh, and like you say, an eight also eight also is a number of the of the new covenant, the first day of the new creation. Yeah. So. So Christ now ushers in a new covenant. Christ now ushers in a new creation. All this symbolism, if you do the Triduum and you do it in its fullness, you start to see all the biblical symbolism from the Old Testament and the New. The seven readings on, on uh, um, the, 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 um, the Vigil Mass Saturday evening, different, different types of Christ, Christ the new Adam, uh, Christ uh, 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 Isaac being offered up by the father, you know, father, this is, there is the, uh, there is the, the knife and there is the fire and the wood for the fire. Where is the lamb of sacrifice? You know, all these types point to Christ. And so this eight day party that we're supposed to be celebrating, we continue to, to, to renounce to the world. And then it goes into a full 40 days liturgical season of, of celebration of the, of the greatest event in human history, uh, God freeing and enslaved humanity. Dan, and also, <clears throat> I would have to say that Dana White from the UFC, he borrowed the octagon from Catholics. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, he did. Uh, I, I mean, that's kind of a cool thing, uh, the, the octagon, uh, where, where they hold their events. But when you go to the Holy Land, when you go to uh, Jordan, when you go to Turkey, you'll find you got 3rd and 4th, 5th century, 6th century baptismal fonts that are in the ground, and they're eight-sided. And they're very ancient. <clears throat> and so sometimes people will say, oh, those eight-sided fonts at the parish down the street, that's, that's modernism, that's liberalism. No, it isn't. That's about as ancient Christianity as you can get. You can go to Jerusalem and see 3rd and 4th century eight-sided fonts, baptismal fonts, where people you know, were immersed uh, for baptism back in the early church. And, and again, the reason that the, the Christians, the Catholic Christians, they chose the eight is because, again, for the Jews, it's the number of the new covenant, the number of eternal life, the number of, uh, of, of, of the resurrection. And so 
it's not a it's not a coincidence that we have eight sided fonts, and I think Dana White ripped it off from us. He needs to he needs to give us credit. I think we need to, we definitely need some Catholic uh, uh, some some shout outs to the Catholic Church for giving him the the idea of the eight sided of the octagon. Another great image uh, comes from a, a, an ancient find archaeological find from a church, and I think it was in North Africa. It's Eurodoropos is the name of the of the name of the region of the church. And there's a they've discovered a baptismal font. Now the eight sided one uh, is 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 an ancient tradition. But here's one more, Jess. It's very interesting. The uh, different theologians have speculated on what the shape is, but the shape looks like, like it's almost shaped like a womb. And so the imagery in the early church was you entered into the waters right naked. Okay, um, you were baptized. You came out of the waters three times. Right. Uh, uh, do you renounce uh, 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 Satan? All those, you know, threefold renunciations and a threefold confession in the triune God, um, you know, uh, announcing Jesus as Lord. You come out, you're robed in a white garment coming out of the womb of Holy Mother Church. And they ushered you to to go to kneel before the altar to receive our Lord and the Holy Eucharist. So this newborn, reborn child now goes from being a creature to being now a child of God, and now he's being fed by, you know, born in the womb and fed at the breast of Holy Mother Church uh, through the Holy Eucharist. It's beautiful imagery as well, very ancient imagery. We were losing all of this uh, in the modern church. It's time to restore all this. If you do the Triduum, uh, particularly I did most of them at the Fraternity of St. Peter Parish uh, in a neighboring town, and it, you start to see the real richness of our tradition uh, when you when you when you when you enter into the Triduum, you start to see all these things unfolding uh, again and again each year. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful celebration. Um, the Holy Triduum. Amen. Dan, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> Saint Catherine of Siena, Doctor of the Church. She also had a stigmata. She was all, she also spoke to the first person of the Trinity in locutions, God the Father. Should I say God the Father spoke to her? <clears throat> she was also. Uh, she was also known to have the power to drive demons out. Uh, and even with all these incredible graces that St. Catherine of Siena possessed, she still was attacked towards the end of her life before she died. And this is the reason why as Catholics, again, the rosary gives us all the theology that we want. We, As we pray the rosary every day and the 53 beads when we say, Holy Mary, Mary Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. And at the hour of our death, amen. So why do we pray for now and at the hour of our death? Well, I can tell you that countless saints tell us that at the hour of our death, we are going to be visited by demons. <clears throat> and uh, in fact, I'm reading here from the, the, the Catechism of the Council of Trent teaches this. It says this, quote, at no time is the devil's attack more intense than at the moment of our approaching death. Close quote. Here's St. Augustine. He says, quote, The devil will accuse us before our face with, with all that we have done and will state the day and the hour in which we sinned. Close quote. St. Gregory the Great. Consider well how terrible is the hour of death and how appalling the remembrance of our sins will be at that time. For the devils will recall all the harm they have done to us and remind us of the sins which we have committed at their instigation. I can quote you one father after another. This is basic Catholic teaching. So this article is very interesting because it doesn't surprise me. Somebody said, well, how can St. Catherine of Siena be attacked by demons as she's dying? Again, she's a human being. Yes, yeah, she's a doctor of the church. Yes, yeah, she's a stigmatist, but she's not Christ. 
and she's not uh, and she's not our lady. She's still a human do, being like yeah. like all of us. Yeah. Do only privates die in combat? Does the enemy only try to yeah. shoot grunts on the you know? Or is he, is he, if he can take out a general, if he can take out a colonel, you know, that's this. The, you know, the the enemy's relentless. Uh, yeah. Good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. So if he can take out a bishop, he can take out a pope. He can take out a a, a, a holy mystic, a virgin. Right before she entered um, to take her permanent vows as a consecrated virgin, um, the enemy tempted her not with they tempted her with good things. He tempted her. He appeared as a a good man, a, a nice holy man. He appears to her as born to try to tempt her away. Look what you're giving up. You're giving up a family. You're giving up a potentially good husband, a normal, healthy human life. So this is the temptation she receives the night before she makes her vows. And the demon always going to tempt you with something good. Oftentimes, oftentimes we know or in the early stages of the spiritual life, you're tempted with, you know, very carnal things. But later, he starts to use your own virtue against you. He starts to, to tempt you with a seeming good thing. I'll, I'll put it in cowboy terms. I remember something that Kyle and I had a conversation a while back on a, on, on a certain topic. And, it, and, I, and I was being tempted to something that was, a, that was a good thing. And he said, you know, when God, uh, when the demon tempted Adam, uh, with an, he, didn't, he used an apple, a good thing. He didn't tempt him with a turd, mm. you know, with a cow turd. You know what I mean? So, so that's a very cowboy way of saying that. So, he, so the demon's going to tempt you with that. Now, at the end of your life, you know, the tradition here, as you're as you're citing, is, is yeah, that you're going to get hit with potentially hit with an all-out assault. He's got one more chance. Yeah, he's got one last chance. And if he can get you to fall into despair, if he can get you to 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 commit any sin whatsoever, she's had a life of radical purity, radical holiness, and now if he can get her. Uh, again, what does St. Teresa of Avila, another female doctor of the church, she said that the devil gets more pleasure from stealing the peace of soul of a soul in a state of grace than getting a soul in a state of mortal sin to commit a hundred mortal sins. Mm -hmm. Because the soul in a state of grace, the purity of soul, the purity of body that Catherine had before at her death and the radical the radical holiness she lived, if he could steal that peace in her in, 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 at the end, he would get more pleasure from that, and if he got a, 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 un, a unrepentant sinner to commit a hundred mortal sins, so we see the value of peace. We see in her life the value of purity, and from a place of holy virginal purity, does she work in the apostolate? Does does her does her apostolic work uh, flow forth? Uh, on the next segment, I know we got about a minute left. I'm going to share a story of happened here at my parish of somebody who uh, very graphic. In fact, the, the DRE at our parish. <clears throat> told us uh, about a person, one of the catechumens that was coming into the church, uh, who was dying and was visited by Satan. And I'm going to give you the details, and it comports exactly what was St. Catherine of Siena went through, what the Catholic Church, the tradition tells us, uh, and I'll give you the details on the next segment. But here's a St. Catherine of Siena, what it's written about her before she died. It says, then suddenly it appeared to those around her that she was experiencing a demonic attack. Uh, I hear the yeah, I hear the music sneaking up on us. You're listening right. to you're listening to Wednesday War College. Talking about St. Catherine of Siena, how to die a holy death. We'll be right back. Stick around, don't go anywhere.
Reveille, stand up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of Christ. This is Wednesday War College talking about St. Catherine of Siena. Here's what she says, what happens to her before she uh, passed away. <clears throat> it says here, Then suddenly it appeared to those around St. Catherine that she was experiencing a demonic attack. No, no, she's sick in bed here. Okay, so this is the context. It says, At this unction, St. Catherine began altogether to change and to make various signs with her head and her arms as if to show that she was suffering from grave assaults of demons and remained in this calamitous state for an hour and a half. Half of which, of which time had been passed in silence, she began to say, I have sinned, O Lord, have mercy on me. <clears throat> and this, as I believe, she repeated more than 60 times, raising each time her right arm and then letting it fall and strike the bed. Then changing her words, she said as many times again, but without moving her arms, Holy God, have mercy on me. Finally, she employed the remainder of the above-mentioned time with many other formulas of prayer, both humble and devout, expressing various acts of virtue, after which her face suddenly changed from gloom to angelic light, and her tearful and clouded eyes became serene and joyous. Then she sat up, fixed her eyes on the crucifix in the room, and prayed aloud. Quote, It is my fault, O eternal Trinity, that I have offended you so miserably with my negligence, ignorance, ingratitude, and disobedience, and many other defects. Wretched, wretch that I am, for I have not observed your commandments, either those which are given in general to all, or those which your goodness laid upon, laid upon me in particular. O mean creature that I am, close quote. So that's the narrative of St. Catherine as she was, you know, attacked uh, she felt some type of affliction right before she passed away, some type of diabolical affliction. And this is why as Catholics, there's a prayer in my Roman Missal, when, uh, in the Latin Mass Roman Missal. It's a, it's a prayer, it's called Act of Resignation to the Divine Will. It was uh, given to us by Pope Pius X. It says this, it's a short prayer. O Lord my God, from this moment do I accept from thy hands with burning love and sinc with sincere contrition with a calm and willing disposition, whatsoever death thou shalt choose to send me with its pains and griefs. Amen. Dan, there's so many prayers in the Catholic faith. Again, the Hail Mary, prayers of St. Joseph, praying for a happy death. There's so many prayers in Catholic tradition where we're asking God to give us a happy death. And I think the reason we have all these prayers in the tradition of the church is, once again, when you go to the saints of the church, they tell us that that's the devil's final assault. That's his last chance to try to steal you. And so he's going to do a full court press once you're dying. Yeah, no, for sure. I was I had the good fortune years ago to to be at the bedside at the passing of my uh, uh, former parish priest, Father Conrad Pitlick. May he rest in peace. And the, it, it was the first time I saw this reality uh, firsthand is that the devil came for him. The devil, the last hours of his life, the devil came uh, and, and pounded him uh, uh, mercilessly. Here's another account of, of the end of her life. Um, so she was suffering. Uh, um, 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 she was suffering tremendously at, her, at the end of her life. Um, and, and so all of her, the, all the, uh, her, her confreres were around her. Oh, Jesus. Um, so she suffered the division of the mystical body. The Pope had moved the Vatican out of the Vatican to Avignon, France. And so the, so, so uh, they abandoned Rome and the vicar of Christ, 
was now living in France because it was a better view, better wine, whatever. You know, they 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 left the Sea of Rome, and yeah. she single handedly really um, convinced the Pope to go back. And so here's how she here's what she did. Oh geez, this is how she died. Oh Jesus, she prayed, let all the parts of my body, all the marrow of my bones, be beaten and pounded together. So she gets assaulted by Satan, right? And here's what she says. She this is MMA. This is spiritual MMA. Hmm. This is this is this is really deep uh, spiritual uh, spiritual the use of spiritual suffering like mixed martial arts, like a judo a judoko or like a, a, a you know somebody somebody that's doing a good ground game uh, jujitsu. She said, let all of my body, all the marrow of my bones be beaten and pounded together. Only restore thy church to her, her comeliness and beauty. Her prayers were answered. Catherine collapsed to the floor, her skin all black and blue, and the weight of the sins of the church upon her shoulders. For months she lingered on. As death approached, her spiritual children gathered around the saint's bed to receive her last words. With her eyes fixed on the crucifix, she made the sign of the cross and cried, blood, blood. She bowed her head and sighed, Father, into thy hands. I hmm. Dan, you got cut off. You're listening to uh, Wednesday War College. Just remember Dan Schneider. Dan is, uh, you have a little, a little technical problems. He'll be right back. St. Anthony Mary Claret, in his book, The Golden Key to Heaven, says, says this about death, the moment of death, says this, quote, it is also true that the devil attacks the dying with greater fury than ever. But he who has prepared himself for death, he has already wept over his sins, can insult Satan with the words of St. Martin. What are you doing, you fiendish beast? I have already confessed all my sins. I have put my affairs in order. You will, find in, you will not find in me anything that you can accuse me of. Wow. So again, if you're in a state of grace, you have nothing to fear from these assaults from the devil, even at the moment of death. St. Anthony Mary Claret says when the devil's going to appear to you when you're dying, you just tell the devil, hey, dude, I'm in a state of grace. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm, conf I'm, 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 I'm in a right relationship with God. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Just scram. And so that's the type of boldness that you have when you die in a state of sanctifying grace. Let me read St. Anthony, Anthony Mary Claret again. Okay. Page 130, the golden key to heaven. St. Anthony Mary Claret says this, quote, It is also true that the devil attacks the dying with greater fury than ever. But he who has prepared himself for death, he has already wept over his sins. He can insult Satan with the words of St. Martin. What are you doing, you fiendish beast? I have already confessed all my sins. I have put my affairs in order. You will not find in me anything that you can accuse me of. Again, if you die in a state of grace, you have nothing to fear from the devil. Nothing. Even his final assaults. Let me tell you about... Dan, are you back? Or is Dan back? <clears throat> Let me tell... Uh... All right. Sorry, oh, Jess. No, no, no. I got it. Power outage, man. I don't know what's going on. It tells you how much the devil hates holiness, how much the yeah. devil hates virginity, how much the devil hates the, the, the word, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. This exactly. Is, we're, we're throwing out DDT right here. This is how you it's, <laughs> this is how you beat the enemy. You know what I mean? This is how you beat them. You beat them through purity. 
like Catherine Sienna. You beat them through penance, like Catherine Sienna. You beat them through consecrating yourself fully and entirely to Jesus Christ through Mary. You, you beat him through offering your suffering. Offer your suffering. What does she do? She offers us up for the church, for the mm. purification of the church. Dan, let me let me share. Uh, let me put some meat to the story. This happened here in my parish, and I know the family. I know them well. Okay. So uh, there's a, a, a Mormon who was coming into the Catholic Church last year, going through RCIA, and he was all in. He he realized that Mormonism was a cult, and he re- realized that the Catholic Church is the one true church. He was all in, but he had cancer. And uh, we were wondering, is he, is he going to be able to be received on, on Holy Saturday because he had fourth-stage cancer, but, and, but he wanted to come into the church and receive the sacraments. Well, he, was, he called the parish priest, and he was dying before Holy Saturday last year. His wife called and his daughter. He had a wife and daughter that lived with him at home. <clears throat> and he says, Father, I need for you to come. I don't think I'm going to make it past the evening. I'm not going to make it for another month till Holy Saturday. So the priest says, okay, uh, I'll be there. I'll be there in, in about an hour. The wife told me that in between when the, the pastor went over there to his house, that he got off the phone. Then he started shaking in the bed and he started screaming, honey, he's over there. He's, he's here. He's in the bedroom. He's right there. And he's pointing. He goes, he's, he's trying to attack me. He's, he's pointing at him. And she told me and my wife, we know her good. She's a parishioner. He was terrorized, terrorized. I mean, he was in a state of grace already. He'd received confession and he was going to receive uh, uh, the rest of his sacraments on Holy Saturday. But uh, I think he had received just baptism and confession because he was a, he was a far, fallen away Catholic that who embraced Mormonism for 30 years. So as he's pointing to the corner telling his wife that a demon was there attacking him, his wife is looking. She goes, I don't see anything, honey. And the daughter, daddy, daddy, we don't see anything. He's over there. He's there. He's attacking me. He's coming to the bed. Get him. Then he said that the wife and the daughter, just from listening to our RCA classes, they said, daddy, daddy, pray the rosary. Let's pray the rosary. <clears throat> so they all, the, the wife and the daughter got on their knees and the father led them in the rosary. He said, once he finished the rosary, he said he ch- completely changed. He said, he's gone. He's gone. <gasps> oh, and then, and then they said his face completed. He looked up and he goes, <gasps> she's so beautiful. <gasps> she, she's so beautiful. He wow. went back, laid down on his back and died with the rosary in his hand. My pastor walks in about five minutes after his wife and daughter told me that he saw a beautiful woman descending from the roof into his bed, hovering over his bed. He he breathed a sigh of relief and, and, and of amazement with the rosary in his hand. He laid back on his bed and died right there. Yeah. I know this family yeah. good. And, and trust me, I talked to them at length about this. I talked to the pastor. He saw the devil right before he was going to die in his bedroom. He has fourth-stage cancer. He's about to be received in the Catholic Church. He's a month away from being received. He's rejected Mormonism, and he's embraced Catholicism, and his wife and his daughter were on board. They were going to RCA classes with him, and they told him, Daddy, Daddy, let's pray the rosary. Let's pray the rosary. They all prayed the rosary, all three in the room. Once they finished, 
He said the demons that were in the corner left the room, a lady descended upon him, and he died. That's called yeah. the holy death, then. That's called a happy death. And, and people say, oh, I, don't, I, I try to pray the rosary every day. I try to. You know, I, I really wish I could pray the rosary. It's too boring. It's too dry. You're asking the Holy Virgin Mary 53 times at the hour of my death to come intercede for you. And I can tell you this as one who works closely with, with Father Ripperger in, in, in exorcisms. The Blessed Mother is present at, I would say, every. The Father puts it more, he's, he, you know, statistically, you know, 85, 90% of the time when there is an extraction that takes place, a true liberation that takes place, when the demon is expelled from the soul in a solemn session, the Blessed Mother is palpably present. She, and how is she made present? Through the prayers of the church. The rosary of the of lady hey, man, praying there. Stick around. Stick around. We'll be right back. back. Hard break. <laughs> Wednesday war callers. This is a huge topic for Catholics. That's why it's a recurring topic on Wednesday war college, haunted houses, what we call diabolic infestation. I want to read a brief article that I want to get Dan to interact with, with some of the things that I'm going to share here. <clears throat> this is uh, about the Brownsville, the, the Brownsville road uh, house that was infested. Uh, this uh, article was written back in 2017. It says this home in Pittsburgh has a dark and evil history that will never be forgotten. It says, Sometimes dreams turn into nightmares, at least that seems to be the moral of the story, behind a home on Brownsville Road in the Brentwood neighborhood of Pittsburgh. What started as a young boy's dream decades later became a terrifying nightmare for that boy, now an adult, and his family. Here's a story of what could be the most evil place in Pittsburgh. The house at 3406 Brownsville Road has a long and storied history, especially if you believe the terrifying tales shared by perhaps its most famous resident, Bob Kramer. But before Kramer ever entered the picture, the land on which the house now sits had a story of its own to tell. According to local legend, as the burial site of a mother and her three children murdered at the hands of Native Americans in 1792. As a young boy, Kramer grew up near that Brownsville Road home and felt drawn to it, determined to one day call it his own. Time passed. Kramer served in the U.S. Army, became chairman of the Republican Party of Allegheny County, and in 1995 won the role of Allegheny County Commissioner. In the meantime, he fulfilled his dream when he and his family moved in into 3406 Brownsville Road in 1988. I'm looking at a picture of it, Dan. It looks like a beautiful home, uh, at least the second picture, not not the top one. The top one looks kind of creepy, but the second one I'm looking at, it looks beautiful. Uh, before even moving in the home, the Kramer family claimed the odd circumstances had already started. Kramer's young son, in tears, talked of seeing a ghost. The ghost began to wreak havoc on the household. Strange smells, often of sulfur, lingered in the air. The family would discover objects had mysteriously moved. The ghost most commonly presented itself in the form of a black cloud. 
Soon the house at 3406 Brownsville Road went from a dream home to a virtual house of horrors. The ghost began to attack, according to Kramer. Family members suffered scratches and bites on their bodies, and the odd occurrences continued. I'm looking at a picture here in the article. There's a picture of rosary beads, for example, often inexplicably stuck together, making it impossible to properly pray the rosary. I'm also looking at another picture. There's blood uh, on a blue wall that's running down the wall, obviously terrifying the family and leaving them desperate for help. And so by this point, they believe that the home was, wasn't possessed by a normal ghost, rather they felt the demon had taken up residence in the unassuming home on Brownsville Road. Increasingly desperate to find a way to, to rid the home of the evil spirit that possessed it, Cramer turned to Bishop Donald Whirl for help in removing the ghost from his home. So you had religious experts, I'm assuming they were Catholic religious experts, concluded that the home was possessed by demons. Several priests spent nearly two years attempting to cleanse the home of its demonic spirit. By 2006, the family could breathe much easier as the paranormal incidents began to decrease while the Crammers no longer lived at 3406 Brownsville Road. Crammer shared his experiences about the possessed house in a 2014 book called The Demon of Brownsville Road. Dan, you have any comments on this? It's interesting. Of course, they make a few, a few technical errors, ghosts. Uh, we, we use this phrase ghost. What we're talking about is a disembodied spirit. And it's very rare. A ghost technically, um, we would call a disembodied spirit, a purgative soul. And so it's very rare that you, it, it's very rare that purgative souls are allowed to cross back over. And they're usually coming back asking for prayer versus a demon. And what we're talking about here is an infestation of place. Uh, you see that the root, that, that the seemingly entry point was, was the murders that took place there. And then, other resources online talk about how the, the, the place, the house also was used for witchcraft. So you basically, you commit grave, grave evil there. Um, a demon gets conscripted. Uh, he now lays claim to that territory. I'm working on a manuscript now, a follow-up to the, to the, the manual that's coming out in a couple of months uh, on, on the, the Gerasene demoniac. And one of the things that the, the Gerasene demoniac begs of Jesus, do not drive us from this territory. Uh, literally, uh, it's, it's a military term, uh, this station, this outpost. So the demon is assigned there, and they're very territorial. So if they've been given a permission to be there through a grave evil act, they're going to claim a right to be there and until the church asserts her authority otherwise and drives the, 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 the evil presence out. Dan, something else that I know about... Uh... I looked up at another article on Spirit Daily. Well, here's a couple of comments that I want to make about uh, this article. And as I looked at some of the pictures, um, to me, Kramer seems credible. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, when they're not steeped in the Catholic faith, they'll call it a haunted house. You just correct that. We don't call it a haunted house. We call it a house that's diabolically infested. Uh, there was a movie that was made relative to this house back in 1982 by Steven Spielberg. It was a it was a huge movie by Golden Harvest. It was about uh, a family who bought a haunted house and was terrorized. The movie was called Poltergeist. Then they remade the movie back in 2015, but it's based on this story here. They made they remade the movie Poltergeist. And the word Poltergeist, by the way, I looked it up years ago because I said, okay, well, what's that movie about? 
It's a German word which means a mischievous spirit. That's what poltergeist means. It's a uh, it's a, a German word which means a mischievous spirit. In Father Ripperger's book, uh, Diabolical Influence, he uses the word poltergeist in a, in one of his end notes for one of his uh, uh, one of the chapters that he writes. The other thing I would also mention about um, what happened here in Brownsville Road is that uh, they brought in this woman who they called a mystic. <clears throat> and what do we know about her? I looked I looked up this. In fact, I think I've met her before. As, as I was reading about her last night, I said, oh, I've met her before at a conference. I think she's passed away. And I, I met her and her husband. So <clears throat> they, they brought in an alleged Catholic mystic uh, or an intuitive to help out this priest, Father Lingwin. And uh, her name is Connie Valenti. She's passed away. Rest in peace. I, I, I did meet her years ago. I didn't know she was associated with this case. Uh, she, by all good accounts, the, this, this article on Spirit Daily says she was a devout woman who had co-authored a column with Father Lenguin in the diocesan newspaper for 25 years. Uh, she, she used, the article says she used paranormal skills to envision the interior of the house, view the spiritual presences here and there, and advise both Father Lenguin and the homeowner, Robert Kramer, on how to handle what can only be described as a nightmare. Now, here's the, here's the real problem right here. It says, there's no doubt that on many occasions, Mrs. Valenti, who never visited the home herself, offered extraordinary, even amazing descriptions of rooms, furniture, and other characteristics. In some cases, her visions were virtually photographic. Parapsychologists call such an alleged ability remote viewing, while those in psychic circles call it clairvoyance. The curiosity is not is not only the deployment of an intuitive by the archdiocese, but the advice Mrs. Valenti gave, including her instruction of Father Langwin, who was the vicar general of Pittsburgh, and as a priest has special power over evil, not to go to the home personally. So here's what's happening, Dan. Uh, this, this woman, rest in peace, Mrs. Valenti, was telling the priest what to do uh, for two years. Says, you can't go in the house... And from wherever she was at, from her outpost, wherever she was at, she was, sounded like she was doing astral projection going into the house and she was coming back and telling father, do this, do that. It's over here. It's over there. Don't go in the house. She's doing all of this, not ever having been to the location physically. She's doing this mystically or intuitively uh, from, from some paranormal skill as, as the secular people say it. Dan, this sounds to me very, very dangerous, this practice, to get a Catholic woman and say, okay, what do I do step by step, and I'm going to trust everything you say because you get mystical visions, and I as a Catholic priest who have holy orders, I'm going to rely on you uh, every step of the way to drive this demon out. Dan, I see something very disordered in this. Yeah, so if you read the, continue reading this, the case here, what happened was this, this mystic uh, so-called... Um, is telling the priest what prayers to pray, what not to pray. Um, he's, she's saying that God is telling her that you can't go into the house. This is a case study on 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 why you why we uh, why we read the red, read the black, do the red. You know what I mean? Just do what the liturgical uh, book says. In which case, it says go into the home and pray these prayers. It doesn't 
and nowhere in the in the in the, the rite of exorcism and all the liturgical books on exorcism and prayer does it say run everything by your mystic, your seer, and and the gifted ones. I've heard that phrase gifted ones. And and we're seeing this crop up in a lot of teams. That sounds where, new age. That sounds new age. I'll put it in cowboy Kyle terms. It's not what you know; it's how you know it, right? So, so this, you know, they, they're sometimes they're now are there legitimate mystical gifts? Yes. Let's start with that. Um, Catherine of Siena. On our last two segments, we talked about her. Uh, shaved her head at age 13 when they, when her family was trying to uh, uh, line her up with a suitor. Shaved her head, disfigured her appearance so she would not be attractive. She started at an early age, consecrated her virginity. She started self-flagellation with a with a with a, a handmade whip to to do to do physical penance. Uh, um, she 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 had an intense prayer life. An intense mortification. Stigmata. The, Stigmata. The sti- yeah, exactly. <laughs> a deep suffering. Authentic spiritual gifts come through deep suffering. And and th- these are not gifts that they necessarily want. When you start looking for gifts, the demon's going to say, I'll be your huckleberry, right? I'll, I'll give you what you want. And you start to see this disorder. I see this working uh, with otherwise very well-educated and well Hold that thought, Dan. Hold that thought. Hard break. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College talking about the uh, the Brownsville Road uh, house that was diabolically uh, uh, infested. Dan, I'll tell you when when you when we're talking about here, Miss Valenti. I think she's passed away. Rest in peace. Uh, and people say, "Well, we got to get a mystic on the team. We got to get a mystic." Like you said, Dan, a lot of a, 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 first of all, a mystic is somebody that's. I was looking this up. A mystic is declared so by a bishop posthumously. So it's not like you can be on, yeah. It's not like you can be on YouTube, uh, on the internet, and say, "Hey, I'm a mystic. Listen to me. God is speaking to me." Mystics are declared as such by a bishop posthumously. Dan, go ahead. Dan, I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Where's Dan? Where's Dan? I can't hear Dan. I'll continue. All right, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, right, I'll give you ahead. quick and dirty from St. Edith Stein or Teresa uh, Benedict of the Cross. A mystic is someone who simply has, has become aware of the presence of Christ within them. So, and the mystic, is it's a, it's a suffering. Catherine of Siena was a mystic, a true mystic, a suffering soul. I mean, you, I mean she traded her hair shirt for a salise. Ouch. She, you know what I mean? So this is what mystical, the true mystics, are, they, they, are suffer, they are souls who suffer for the purification of the church. Most of the mystics that I see are attracted to, to, we get it all the time. Anybody that wants to be on the exorcism team is automatically disqualified. That's the biggest disclaimer. Because <laughs> anybody that's attracted to that, that wants to be a part of this, you know, they're, 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 they're going to be a liability to the team. So, so if you say to if you if you have this desire for the spiritual gifts and you feel important, and, and the demon's going to draw to that, you know, 
um, he'll, he'll, he'll look at you and say, I'm your huckleberry. I'll give you all the spiritual gifts you need. And so we often see this disorder where you have this so, mystic so-called or seer, even the language, seer, mystic, gifted one. And they're leading the priest around. Father, I, I've, I've known cases where the mystic says, oh, Father, put some holy water in the corner. There's a demon in that corner. And the father runs over there all obedient. Okay, any more demons? There's a demon over here. Oh, okay. You know, come on, give me a break. What? Give me a break. Do the red, read the black. Do the ritual as it's written. And this is what happened on Brownsville. They yeah. have all this mystical get stuff, it, get, things get are lighting up and blood on the walls. And everybody's all like, wow, look at that. These are all parlor tricks that the demon used in this case to cause further distraction and to prolong the battle. What do they do? They bring in a renowned exorcist from New York who comes in and guess what he does? He does the red. He reads the black. He does the ritual as prescribed. Within two weeks, the home was 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 the, the infestation was gone. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, let me read the article. It says exactly what you just said here. It says, well known through a radio ministry, Father Ron Lenguin, uh, now Monsignor, would spent countless hours trying to help the homeowners in some stretches speaking with Kramer every day. He told them that it would be a long, perhaps years long battle. Communicating indirectly through the, through the priests for almost two years, Mrs. Valenti offered dozens, if not hundreds, of directives on how to fight what it became clear was a major demon. The demonic crisis was not resolved until, until after nearly two years. The archdiocese, then under Bishop Donald Whirl, uh, formally requested the assistance of a well-known New York exorcist named Father James Labar who in one visit, it says here in the article, who in one visit was able to dispel a vast proportion of the manifestations. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Father James Labar is a, he's a heavyweight. He's the Tyson Fury of exorcists, you know, of exorcists mm -hmm. back in that day. I mean, this guy was just a big hulking New Yorker, you know, and he just walked in and boom, did the ritual. And guess what? It works. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Father Ripperger was once asked, he once asked the demon, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep the same doing these same things? And the demon looked at him and said, because it works. Right. The same temptations because they work because we're stupid. Humanity is stupid and the same tactics work. It's the same old shoot them up. But now why do we keep doing the same ritual? Because it works. You know, we don't see this, this, this again. You go back into the history of the church. You don't see this. Oh, I have this charismatic gift of seeing demons and i can see into the into you know this is all very dangerous this is all very dangerous it needs to, it needs to be checked we had we had an initial team in my own diocese years ago when we started um had multiple mystics so called on these teams and and one by one they dropped and many of them became cases because they don't have the facility and the discipline to close that door and not trust a mystical phenomenon. They're more attracted to the power and the gift that the demon gives you than they are to the than they are to, to being detached from it and, and, and allowing any authentic gifts to rise up. This is what happens is the the, the, the gifted so-called, they come in and they start telling the priest uh, what to do. And these poor priests, many of them are just naive. Oh, I guess they are mystics. They, they do see stuff. And hey, you know what? And sometimes the demon's going to give them some real information. He's going to give them some real stuff. And so you end up tracking, following the phenomena and not just doing what the church does. You know, just this smash mouth approach to exorcism, which is what we do. That's what Father Labar did. Talking about mystics, I'll, I'll give you some other examples of mystics. 
<clears throat> Blessed Mary of Agreda, uh, in, in case you're wondering, she's the one that wrote uh, The Mystical City of God. It was dictated to her by the Blessed Mother. She bilocated over 500 times from Spain to evangelize the Indians in New Mexico and Arizona. Over 500 times she bilocated. See, that's a mystic. Also, St. Mary the Jesus of Agreda, who's been dead for almost 350 years, guess what? Her body is incorrupt. Her body is incorrupt. I don't know about you, but if your body's incorrupt after 350 years, and if you go from Spain to New Mexico and Spain to Arizona to evangelize the Indians, guess what? You're a mystic. Let me give you another one. St. Catherine, uh, uh, not, not, not St. Ca- it was uh, St. Catherine Emmerich of Germany. St. Catherine Emmerich of Germany. She wrote the book, and The Catherine, Dolores yeah, Passion. Uh, yeah, The Dolores Passion of Our Lord. And, and, and Mel Gibson used this book as well to make the movie The Passion of the Christ. Most people don't know that St. Catherine Emmerich was, was honored. I would say honored. She had the complete five stigmata wounds of our Lord for 15 years. 15, all five wounds. Dan, that's a mystic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, again, the, the mystic, and, and what's the commonality of all those mystics? They're all virgins, okay? So the virginal purity. You see three things in Catherine that are critical in spiritual combat. And, you know, when we got interviewed by LifeSite News after the, after the conference, during the conference two weeks ago, they're like, what are you talking about? We're talking about spiritual warfare in the family. Tell us about spiritual warfare. But it's not, there's no secrets to it. It's grinding it out through prayer, through suffering, ordering your life according to your vocation, living your Catholic, making your home a Catholic home. And so we see in the life of Catherine, you see the, the power of virginal purity and consecration. You see the power of suffering, right? Of offering yourself. And, and, and we're not all called to do what she did, but a mystic, you see these mystics, they suffer tremendously in their bodies. Uh, um, you know, even a contemplative, Teresa of Avila would tell you, even, even the contemplative life, is a life of suffering. And when you go beyond into mysticism, you're talking about deep suffering. Uh, and then, of course, at the end of her life, focusing on the blood of Jesus. So the coin of the realm in spiritual combat are those three things. Sexual purity, specifically consecrated virginal purity, uh, um, which, which comes in the office right of priesthood, in the office of consecrated life, the blood of Christ, and the union of one's suffering in uh, in union with the suffering of Christ, these this is the coin of the realm. This these are the weapons that that are issued in, in spiritual combat. And and to the extent that th- that these these the mystics in the tradition of the church, even their mystical gifts have to be compared with what we call the. You remember in your theological studies the analogy of faith, yeah. the analog the the analogy of fide. How does how does what this mystical revelation compare to scripture to the writings of the the papal pronouncements council pronouncements the writings of the doctors of the church what was percolated by earlier saints gets formulated by doctors of the church this is saint john henry newman how does all of this compare to the overarching teaching and it's and it's always in in conformity and and works within this analogy of faith this is where we get out of out of whack you know we think oh well catherine of siena drove out demons therefore Susan from Parish Council could go to the parish hall and the parish basement and start laying hands on people. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. That's not consistent with the tradition of the church. Dan, also something that's that's an important point to mention that I, you, you've mentioned it before is uh, when, when we're talking about the diabolical and especially in relation to houses, <clears throat> you've mentioned that demons aren't, they're attracted to the to people or, or you said that a purgative soul is tied to a location, not a person. It's not destructive. It's disembodied. They will not speak in response to prayer or ask for prayer. Now, the demon is not tied to a location, unlike a purgative soul, which is tied to a location. A demon is not tied to a location. It follows a person. It's destructive. It's, uh, it's there. It's there. They want, there's there to do harm. Uh, they're disembodied like purgative souls, and the demons are sometimes allowed to speak as well, right? Yes, but, but it can be tied to location when a grave evil act took place there, like in Brownsville Road. Okay. So this demon oh, was tied to location. Do not cast us okay. from this territory, the Garrison Demoniac says. Don't cast us into the abyss because there could be a further punishment for the demon, a deeper punishment uh, um, by God. Um, you know, uh, that God alone can, can, can do, Christ can send them for a deeper punishment. Um, but that being said, the demon can be tied to location, but nine times out of ten, the normal is it's tied to a person, you know, I, I, I you know, um, I think my home is, 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 is got demons. It's got a ghost. So I moved and I moved into this apartment and then that apartment, believe it or not, that apartment had a ghost. And then I moved in with my, my sister and her, and her baby daddy. And then they got a ghost over there too. And I'm always like, Hey, there's, there's one commonality about this whole thing and it's you. So, but there are, there are occasions, but the purgative soul will always be tied to place, a place where a sin took place that he's been allowed to go back and, and beseech prayer from the mystical body. So they're asked, they go, they're allowed to go back to the mercy of God to, to seek the prayers. And it's not destructive. It's there, you know, and, and it decreases as you pray for the soul, doing the office, the little office of the dead, having mass in, in that location to help bring reparation from the mystical body to make satisfaction for the sins. It's a great grace to give into a soul in purgatory, and it's very rare. The, the, the most common, of course, is infestation of place, but the demon himself doesn't care. It depends on, on um, what his assigned task was uh, at, the, at the moment of his fall. So if this is a territorial demon, it's the demon of the air. Um, if it's a scientist. Yeah, that's task, a wrap, my friend. That's a wrap. Okay, Hard break. we'll pick up there next week. You got it. Wednesday, War College. God bless you guys. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, let's not forget, let this be burning your heart. He is risen. He is risen indeed. See you next time.